Good morning. My name is Kathy, and I am going to read to you this morning. In the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they called, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Paul, Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them there and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioned with his hands and said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am he? No, but behold, after me is coming of the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understood the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. 
And though they found, him in, found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down to the, from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come with him from Galilee, Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his father and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them again the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. All right. Thank you, Kathy, so much for reading that word. And good morning. Welcome here. Good to see you. My name is Eldon. Privileged to uh, open the Word of God. Uh, well, it's already been opened, and to explain it a little bit. Key word here in this text, if you didn't catch it, is verse 2. Just want to go back there real quick. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Today, I want to talk about God's call in our lives, uh, even in a similar way to the calling that he had on Paul and Barnabas through the church. So I was struggling a little bit today to come up with a bit of an illustration or an opening story. I like to do something to kind, of like, kind of interesting, right? A story, true or not, uh, to, to set the bait a little bit, to, to hook. And uh, it just wasn't coming. So I just did the, uh, the good old Google search, and I put in these words. I have found my calling. I found my calling, right? 
So I typed it in and up comes all this stuff. The number one result of that search was retirement. <laughs> and voila, I had my illustration. Retirement. Isn't it a sad commentary statement about our culture when the thing that we uh, aspire to, look forward to, is the day when we can stop doing things, focus on ourselves, relax, do nothing, and just retire. And what's even sadder, or more sad, is when this mindset pervades Christian culture or the Christian community. Our calling, friends, is the furthest thing, the farthest thing from retirement. Our calling is to engage the work of God and what he has for us, and we see this very clearly outlined today in Acts 13, because there's a shift that takes place as the focus up until this point, the calling that God gave his disciples in um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that God said to be witnesses in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, the region around Jerusalem, and then to the ends of the earth. And so there's this shift, because to this point we've seen everything happening sort of in the region of uh, Judea, Samaria, even going up into Antioch there. Uh, we've talked about that. But the focus has been going now from God's extension or invitation, not just to the Jewish people, his chosen people throughout history, but to the Gentiles, those that did not know God in any way, shape, or form in the way that the Jewish people did. So the remainder of Acts, beginning here in chapter 13, there's this shift from Peter and the church in Jerusalem to Paul and Barnabas and the advance of the gospel to the nations. And the remainder of Acts talks about the Holy Spirit enabling missionaries to fulfill this call that Jesus made. And Acts 13 is so pivotal and it outlines the components of this clear and compelling call and the dynamics that one should expect while living on mission. The mission call that of advancing the gospel that has not changed. The call of mission upon our lives that God is calling each one of us to today. So this morning I wanna talk about the components of this call and these missional dynamics. Fasten your seatbelt, we're gonna go quick because I got, these are like seven sermons packed into one, okay? There's seven components of this clear call of God. Number one, we gotta talk about the context of this call, which is the local church. Verse one, now there were in Antioch, in the church at Antioch. This is the local church. This is a local group of believers who were gathered together when they heard the clear call of God upon their lives and ascending of Paul and Barnabas. So they were there, you know, they named five people. I would imagine there's more. Maybe there's as many as we have here today. Maybe not, we don't know. But there's Barnabas, there's Simeon, there's Lucius, Menan. And Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What a beautiful and dynamic picture of the local church in action, doing what she is supposed to do, and that is fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave to the church, right? And so I want to break down this verses, uh, these three verses just a little bit. While they were worshiping, are those verses up there? Mary, can you find them? Um, while they were worshiping, worshiping is, a, is an active verb which actually means serving. They were 
in this church and they were serving the Lord and they were serving each other in their worship to God. They were engaged. They were engaged in what God was doing. They were not sitting, sitting idly by waiting for something to happen. I want to tell you this morning, I'm going to be really direct. If you are not serving, you are missing your call. Church is not a place we go to to sit, listen, go home unchanged, and repeat six days later. That's not church. Church is who the people of God are. That we do 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we happen to gather once a week in community like this to be encouraged, to be equipped, to fellowship, to hear teaching from the word of the Lord, to, to enable us to keep going on mission and engaging what God has for us all the time. So I want to challenge you, if you are not actively worshiping, which means serving the Lord, you are missing out. Uh, you've heard it said before that it's, uh, it's really difficult to steer a vehicle that's not moving. If we want to go the places that God has for us, we have to be moving. And then, we can, and then it's amazing what God will do in us and through us. This is the exact opposite of retirement. There is, there is no place in the church for people to fold their arms and say, I'm going to watch other people do that. Is this convicting enough yet? <laughs> we need all hands on deck. We need all hands on deck. We, we need them in kids' ministry. We need them in outreach initiatives. We need them on Sunday morning. We need them midweek. We need them in Kent Elementary at Olive Branch. We need them on your farms, in your schools, seven days a week, 24-7. While they were worshiping, serving, actively engaged, the Lord, the Lord, he actually spoke. The Lord means master, owner, ruler, the one who commands, the one who has authority. How do we view the Lord, the one that we come here to worship together, do we view him as our commander, the one who has all authority, the one who owns us, who rules our lives? If we don't, we're not going to listen to him. And, and these, these, these brothers and sisters in the local church in Antioch were listening to the Lord, and they were fasting. You see, when we consider the Lord our master, our ruler, we set ourselves aside, and fasting only adds to that. Fasting is self-denial. Fasting means I'm no longer focused on myself. I don't have a retirement mindset about what I want to do with my time and my money and my leisure and my pleasure. We're listening to God about what he wants for our lives, and we're fasting to put ourselves aside so that we can clearly hear that call. And then the Holy Spirit said, that word said is amazing. 46 times this word is used, 46 times that this used, word is used in scripture, it actually means called. While they were worshiping and fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit called. He said, he called. I, um, I typed in this word calling because, uh, so narrowed the search a little bit um, from, what was it? Uh, I have found my calling to just calling. What does it mean? I like to look up the meaning of words online, right? So um, outside of biblical definitions of these words. So Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, 
right? It says this. I actually, these are cool definitions. There's three parts to a calling. Number one, a strong inner impulse towards a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction of divine influence. I was actually amazed that that was in the dictionary. So I have no idea how the Holy Spirit spoke in the church. Was it in, uh, an inner impulse they had that was a divine conviction as they were praying? Or was it an audible voice of the Holy Spirit that said, set apart Saul and Barnabas and send them off, lay hands on them? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I believe God can do both. The primary way God speaks is through his word. So our worship means being in the word. So that's first definition of calling. Second is what we think of sometimes, you know, a vocation or profession in which, in which one customarily engages. You know, somebody could say, I found my calling by doing this. The third one is really interesting. I had to laugh. The, the, a calling is the characteristic cry of a female cat in heat. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Who are the ones who make the most noise in church? They think it's their calling. It's the ones who are the least involved. Sound like a cat in heat. Am I being too blunt right now? It's exactly true. I find that the people who are engaged in what God is doing, they're listening, they're fasting, they're worshiping, they're, being, they're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit are the ones that have no time to complain and criticize. They're just going with what's happening. Sure, there's a place to question things. Absolutely. Why are we doing this? Should we do that? We pray about it some more. That's totally fine. I just, it was just humorous, this definition. Go look it up, Miriam Webster. Um, I, I keep coming back to God's calling in my own life. Um, maybe I don't do it enough, but I was reflecting on God's call in my life, and it was just so encouraging the way it happened for me. Ever since I was a young boy, um, hanging around my, my cousin James, his dad used to speak into my life, so my uncle Ike, Ike Bergen, uh, Ike uh, married my mom's sister. So I was part of the family, and I got to know them when they moved back from church planting in Nova Scotia, and he became president of Bethany Bible College just in Hepburn, Saskatchewan. And before that, he had been involved in missions. He was a pastor in Swift Current for a while. He had gone on to serve at every level of conference leadership you could imagine. And he, and he just used to say to me when I'd come over, he'd say, Eldon, he'd nudge me, and he says, you're gonna be a pastor one day. I just scared the daylights out of me. I'm like, what are you talking about? These guys are weird. <laughs> There's no way. That's not happening to me. But it, it, but it, it just sort of sat with me all the time. And he said, Ellen, what do you think about that being a pastor thing, right? So a lot of years went by, a lot of water under the bridge. I you know, didn't follow the Lord well for a number of years, rebelled, did all that stuff. The Lord spoke to me again, got back on track. I'm giving you the, really the Coles Notes version. Got involved in the church that Marcy was attending in Saskatoon, and that's where I got to know her. We were high school sweethearts. We were just both so young. Well, we still are, but uh, <clears throat> that's beside the point. Uh, we were super young, like 14, 15, 16 years old, right? And we've known each other since then, and we've been dating, still dating. Jeremy, maybe we'll join you on that double date tonight. Woo, we've still been dating. 31 years in, we're still dating. We've been together 35 years, I think. Grace of God, whew, 
that she could live with me that long. Nonetheless, I got to know her there. And our youth leader, Ken, Ken Dick, uh, wrote Freedom Session. Uh, got to know him way back then before he was a pastor. Uh, Ralph Galigi, the associate pastor in our church at that time. These three men, by the way, if I, if I die, or not if, when I die, if they're still alive, those are the people preaching at my service, all right? Ike, Ralph, and Ken. I'll have three one-hour sermons. I don't care. If people don't want to stay, they can go home. <laughs> the gospel will be preached, and we will have a good full band, Cecily, with lots of guitars and whatnot, and drums and bass. It's going to be a party. The God's calling came through those three men in my life. And it came in the context of the local church. Eventually, it was solidified. I went off to college did an internship, became a pastor. When I was given opportunities in high school to teach Sunday school, to do summer daily vacation Bible school, you know, the good old DVBS, um, I, I was given opportunities to lead Bible studies in youth group. I was mentored in leadership by Ken and by Ralph. When I went off to college, they invited me back to preach occasionally in my home church, Marcy's church. I was horrible. And uh, they loved me anyway and said, okay, there's there's still something there. Let's let him keep going. And uh, hopefully I, I've improved a little bit since then. But uh, it, was, it was confirmed. God's calling in the context of the local church. And I'm so glad for it. I'm glad you're here this morning. Maybe in this context, God will put a special call on your life today. I'm going to come back to that. Number two, let's talk about the force behind God's call, the Holy Spirit. The language of Acts 13 is amazing. They listened to the Spirit. They were sent by the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, emboldened by the Spirit. They had joy in the Holy Spirit. Man, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, getting back to what Jesus said, which began even earlier. See, Acts was written by Luke. And in Luke 24, right after the resurrection, you know, the, the disciples were kept from seeing Jesus or recognizing him. You know, he just appeared in a room because he had a spiritual body, but he also had a physical body because he proved to them that he was alive by eating fish. <laughs> and, and, and so he said to them, okay, guys, just wait in the city. Wait until you're going to be clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts 1.8, just before he ascended to heaven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's why Paul said in Colossians, we proclaim him, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. I'm not going into retirement. I toil. I struggle with all his energy that powerfully works in me. That's the Holy Spirit. Oh, come Holy Spirit. Fill this place. Anoint this place. Put your calling upon us, Lord. Equip us for what you have for us today, this afternoon, when we leave this place. Who would you have us speak to? Whew. Man, we got through two sermons in about 10 minutes. And here we go, number three, the nature of God's call to be sent on mission. I think the North American church in large has it all wrong. Us included. We gear most of what we do towards invitational ministry. It's like we show up and we invite people or we expect people to come here. The early church didn't have that mindset. They gathered, yes, to be equipped and all that kind of stuff, but they were a sending church. They don't come to us. We go to them. 
People need to hear the good news and they're not going to hear it unless we go. Romans said, Paul said in Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Don't let that word scare you. Preaching just means to tell somebody good news. The good news about Jesus. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. I am so thankful that Central is a missional church. We're in descending. Uh, internationally, we see in this text the first international mission trip. Um, two times the apostles here, or Barnabas and, and, and Saul and John Mark got into a boat. They complete this journey in chapter 14 where they get into a boat one more time to return to Antioch. But uh, we're, we're talking overseas missions here now, right? This is international stuff. And Central is all about missions locally, uh, provincially, nationally, internationally. We want to see the gospel go everywhere. Specifically, God has called us to, uh, to share the good news, the gospel, uh, in the entire eastern Fraser Valley for the glory of God and the good of all people. We want to see the gospel spread in this region where he has planted us, but we also send internationally. I'm glad Central sent, established a campus here in Agassiz, and they sent me, uh, us. And then they sent somebody up the hill into Promontory, and then they sent someone to Lake Eric, and we're trying to figure that one out. And now we've sent somebody over to Harrison, and we're trying to figure that out too, Jeremy. And, and uh, who knows where next? I keep telling Pastor Ron, I think we're going to spasm. <laughs> I don't know, maybe as far as Boston Bar. Merritt, I don't know. <laughs> Wherever God calls us, we'll go. But internationally, we've sent many missionaries over the years in our history. But right now, just this past week, John and Bonnie Esau, who were in uh, Thailand, came home. Uh, Tyler and Cheryl came home from Africa a couple of years ago. They were our two sent international missionaries that we supported. We still support John and Bonnie, of course, for, like they just got back. So we're, they're still on with Multiply MB Mission. And, and they still have things to do to finish their work. They're still equipping from a distance those that are in Thailand in their region. And we're still supporting them. But technically, as a church, we have no sent international missionaries at the moment. Put that in your back pocket because I'm going to come back to it, all right? The purpose of God's call, number four, is gospel proclamation. This is the reason. Paul, we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare because we see it in this text. Man, Ephesians 6, he goes on and he talks about that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers, you know, and forces of evil in those places, heavenly realms. And then he talks about our spiritual armor to protect us that we use also to, to go on the offense, to do battle. And then he says, okay, now we need to pray. And we're not praying for cousin Johnny's kid is having a hard time in school, which is important, but that's not what he asked for prayer for. Ever, the apostle Paul, he said two things. He goes, pray that words will be given me so that when I open my mouth, I can proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Secondly, pray for me that I can do it boldly. Oh, we need prayer, because we're chickens. At least I am. I don't know about you. It's good sound effects there. I like that one. 
that, that illustrates the point. It's good. This is why this is why we need the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a couple of things in gospel proclamation. I'm going to break it down a little bit. We need to, there's two things that are extremely important. We see them in this text when it comes to gospel proclamation. Number one is context, and the other two is the actual message of the gospel. So let's talk about context. Paul was a master of knowing his audience, his culture. He studied it. He knew it. And as a result, he knew how to speak into it. So just, just so you know how important context is, in, in the year 2000, 21 years ago, Marcy and I moved to British Columbia from Saskatchewan, from the old country to the new country. And I thought, my goodness, we, had, we went from a town, a rural town in Saskatchewan of a population of 250. <laughs> Surrounding area, another 250, we had 500 people in um, Borden. And we moved to Richmond. <laughs> I thought, honestly, we're not even in another city, a province, country. We're like, we're on like we're on another planet here. Man, it was different. Talk about having to know your context. It's unbelievable. Man, I could tell you stories. Uh, early on in my preaching, I used uh, an illustration in my preaching about um, treating cattle before they went out to pasture for the summer. <laughs> And I described in detail the process of what happens to these dear animals when they get put in the chute. <laughs> and I had somebody talk to me afterwards and said, Eldon, you are on the West Coast in Richmond. Please do not talk about that again. Okay. Sorry. On the coast, you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. On the prairies, you have breakfast, dinner, and supper. So when you got an invitation on the coast for dinner, you know, you could show up, you know, your guests could come five hours early. <laughs> Where's the food? Right? You got to know your context. I remember when I uh, went and got uh, our driver's license switched from Saskatchewan to BC. Oh, man, they just about missed my motorcycle endorsement. I couldn't get the school bus one which I was okay with because I, I knew I wouldn't drive out here probably. But the motorcycle, I was like, my goodness, I had to run back in and say, put it on. She said, you're, you're, I was just about to enter it in the computer and you're lucky, otherwise you would have had to do the test all over again. I'm like, oh, get it on there. Can't go without a motorcycle. But anyway, when we were doing the paperwork, and Marcy will remember this, lady looks up from her computer, she goes, so have you noticed uh, a flashing green light at a like, traffic signal? I'm like, no. Marcy's like, oh, we mean that. In the ribs, she goes, you haven't noticed that? And the lady looks up, you haven't noticed that? She goes, if, if there's a green light that's flashing, that means that somebody had pushed the crosswalk button or whatever, there's a pedestrian likely still near the intersection somewhere, so it warns you just to be careful. She goes, you don't have those in Saskatchewan. She's absolutely right. So you have to know your context. Paul was a master of context. He, he, he knew he was talking to, and he, and he did it here so beautifully uh, when he, and we'll get to that, when he shared the gospel because he had Jewish context, context and then he also had Gentile context and he tailored the message accordingly. Hudson Taylor, when he went to China in the 1800s, he was criticized for dressing in traditional Chinese garb because they thought syncretism, you're taking Chinese values and stuff and you're merging them with Christian teachings and you're, you're watering down the gospel and 
And, it's, and Hudson Taylor is like, no, 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 that's not at all the case. I'm committed to the gospel of Jesus, but how am I ever supposed to talk to these people if I don't dress like them? So that's context, right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, it'll be on the screen, I have become all things to all people. And before this, he said, to the Jew, I become a Jew, to the Greek, a Greek, whatever, all these categories. I become all things so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And we see later on in Acts 17, Paul in the Areopagus saying, you're looking at all these idols in Athens there. And he said, well, there's one to an unknown God. Let me tell you. Tell you about Jesus, because he's the one you really, you don't know about. This is the unknown God to you. I'm going to tell you about him. So he studied his culture. Okay, context. Now, we got to know the message. So once we get that figured out, the message, and I want to say this up front. We need to stick to the teaching of the Lord and not get sidetracked by the miracles or the sensational or the spiritual warfare that goes with proclaiming the good news. We see that here very clearly where, you know, Elymas was confronted, you know, you're son of the devil and you're, you're in cahoots with Satan and you're opposing the word of the Lord and then Paul says you're going to be blind and a mist came over him and he couldn't see. And then the proconsul, verse 12, it's on the screen here, said, then the proconsul believed when they saw what had occurred for he was astonished that Elymas went blind. Is that what it says? Oh, no, no. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. At the teaching of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas did not get sidetracked from the teaching of the Lord. Do do not get sidetracked by the sensational. Don't get into ministry for that stuff. Because you'll find out pretty quick that it's not that sensational. (laughs) Get into ministry to serve, to toil, and to speak the word because God's word, God's word will not return void. Stick to the word. I was involved in a ministry one time where they got sidelined and sidetracked so bad by the sensational and all of this spiritual warfare stuff. And and it was dividing the church and it was just destroying people. And I came to the realization, God ultimately said to me, like he said to his disciples, again, I think it was in the book of Luke. He said, when, when he did a missions test pilot with them before he ascended, and, and then he sent them out on real mission work, like, well, this was real mission work, but he was there to supervise their internship. And he sent them out two by two, 72 of them. And they all came back, and they were just like rejoicing that the, the demons, the spirits would submit to them. Jesus said, well, I told you I gave you that authority. What's the big deal? And he said, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice that others' names are going to be written in the book of life because you went on mission and you told them about me. So in verse 14, on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law of the prophets, the rulers... um, After reading from the law and the prophets, the ruler of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And then it says uh, later on, chapter 14, they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. 
stuck to the message. Here's a good template for sharing the gospel. We see it. Preparation, three things. Preparation, proclamation, and petition, all right? And I like to think about it because I'm a foodie. <laughs> it's, the having, it's like doing good hospitality and having people into your home. It's like, number one, set the table and prepare. Number two, serve the food. And number three, tell people, bon appetit, let's eat. All right? Prepare, proclaim, and invite, petition. Paul prepared the people so well. In verses 16 to 25, he, he teed it up for Jesus. He was, he was talking to an, a Jewish audience, and he was basically making the case that Jesus is who they were looking for and the one that they were actually seeking. He summarized 450 years of Old Testament history in two sentences. Wow, if only I could do that. <clears throat> then proclamation, verses 26 through 25, he went straight into who the, where, where the Old Testament was pointing to, and that was Jesus. And he only talked about two things. This is the core of the gospel. Jesus died, according to the scriptures, he atoned for your sins in his death, right? Second thing, he was raised from the dead. He talked, Paul talked strictly about Jesus' death and resurrection. The song we sing, I will not boast in anything except his death and his resurrection. And then he made the invitation, the petition, follow Jesus, trust in Christ, set the table, serve the food, come let's eat. Number five, the scope of God's call to the ends of the earth. Um, there's a bit of a map here. Uh, you can go to the map. Um, so what, what we see happening here is the beginning of Acts 1.8 where Jesus said, "You will be, your Holy Spirit will give you power, then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. So Syria is just above the region of uh, Samaria, right? Judea and Samaria are down here off to the right. And so from Antioch, where they ended up after the whole Peter and Cornelius thing, um, Barnabas, Saul came down from Tarsus, Antioch. Then they went on overseas missions. They went to Cyprus, Salamis, Paphos, up to Pamphylia, which is in Galatia or right beside Galatia. And they did a circuit. And then in chapter 14, they end up back in Antioch. And so the scope of God's call is to the ends of the earth. This is the beginning of the ends of the earth. This is this pivotal point. Number six, another component of God's call is the cost, and the cost is opposition and persecution. Last night, as I was doing some more, some final preparations on this sermon, breaking news, I get news from the New York Times that comes into my phone every day, because I like to know what's going on over there, too. And um, breaking news, 10.06 p.m., I was sitting on my couch with my computer. Uh, gang members in Haiti kidnapped as many as 17 American missionaries and their family members as they were leaving an orphanage, Haitian officials said. So you don't think that people around the world, and we, we're not even near the Middle East, you know, Syria, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, those places, where people are losing their lives. Last night in Haiti, 17 missionaries and their families rounded up. And here we sit in freedom, 
in peace? Oh, yeah, there's unrest, but we make small things, big things over here. Does anybody want to nod in agreement with that? Okay. Why don't we take a moment to pray for our brothers and sisters in Haiti and in Afghanistan where they're being killed by the Taliban. Lord, have mercy. Would you protect those lives, their families, these missionaries? Would you protect believers in the Middle East and around the world who are being oppressed and persecuted because they, they talk about Jesus. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. They need your power. And enable them to speak, to continue to speak the good news about Jesus to their captors, to those who would persecute them intensely. Lord, we have no idea. Open our eyes to the reality of what's going on even around us in the spiritual realm here in Agassiz, Harrison, Lake Arak, this whole region and, and the, the battle that's being waged in the spiritual realm over the souls of people. God, we need a move of your Holy Spirit. We need your power. Help us to be faithful to the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> they experienced opposition on three levels. I'm gonna just speed it up a little bit here. There was supernatural opposition. You see it with Elemis. It was like blatant spiritual warfare. We have to be prepared for that and go to places like, like what Jesus said in Luke 10, what Apostle Paul wrote about in Ephesians 6. We need to take that seriously and we need to stay on mission and not get sidetracked by the sensational, okay? Second thing, they experience opposition in terms of relational conflict, and you see that in external relationships. The Jewish people, you know, here in this, like they, they actually, Paul and Barnabas were not treated well. They, they were, riots were incited against them. People wanted them dead for speaking about Jesus, and so... John said, Jesus said in John 15, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. So there's that external relational conflict, but then there's internal. And you don't, you know, it's not obvious, and we're gonna talk about it in, a, uh, in Acts 15, but when they got to Paphos, like on the island, it said that John Mark left them. He went home while Barnabas and Paul carried on. Well, later on in Acts 15, you know, Barnabas wants to take John Mark along on the second journey. And Paul said, not a chance. And they had such a strong, like he said, he abandoned us back there. He's not coming along. And these two brothers had a falling out. And one took John Mark and the other took, uh, who was it, Titus? I think, Timothy, something like that, whatever. I gotta go to Acts 15 to figure it out. But uh, well, here, maybe it'll say Silas. Silas went in Acts 15. But, you know, even God had a hand in that, so now the gospel was going in even greater force in two different directions. So God can take internal relational conflict and work it to his glory. 
Then there was opposition in the, in the form of physical infirmities. If you read Galatians, Paul talks about that he, it was because of a bodily ailment that he first preached the gospel to the church in a certain region in Galatia there. And it was actually a trial to the church there, but they didn't scorn him. They didn't despise him. They, they accepted him. But it was a physical, a spiritual attack of Satan on his life. And in Thessalonians, which talks a lot about spiritual opposition, Paul concludes his letters to the Thessalonians by saying this. But the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We need to pray that way. Number seven, here's the results of God's call. Salvation and joy. Joy. Some will be open to the gospel. We see it in verse seven. They wanted to hear the word of the Lord. Later on, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord on the Sabbath. Some will be outright opposed. Elymas opposed them. The Jews, when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. They reviled him. They stirred up persecution. They drove him out of the district. But some, some will embrace the gospel and be saved. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed. Verse 47, for the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You know, God's salvation call is God's call. Our call is to proclaim the gospel so that people can respond. And the word of the Lord was spreading through that whole region. And it doesn't matter whether some are interested or open, whether they're outright opposed or whether some will be saved, we preach to all. A question that came up in the, in the text is Pastor Matt and Jason, or Jonathan and I were talking about it was, when is it time to shake the dust off your feet and move on? <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a hard question to ask. But you see, in this context, or to answer, in this context, Paul was, was speaking to generations of Jewish believers who had the scriptures in the synagogue, who had throughout history for centuries and centuries rejected the prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, all these guys, they just rejected them. The word kept coming back. In fact, just in my devotions this morning, um, is in Jeremiah. So Jeremiah, how, how discouraging is this? I mean, the guy was like experienced a lot of opposition and persecution. God, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and, and God said, write it down on a, write it down. So he wrote it all down on a scroll, big scroll. It was given to the king of Israel. I think it was like Jehoiakim or something like that. I forget who the king was. And, uh, and the king had it read in his presence while he's warming himself in his winter house by the fire. His servant reads a section. King says, cut it off. And then they throw it in the fire. Read some more, cut it off, throw it in the fire. So, so what does Jeremiah do? He hears from the Lord again. And God says, don't get discouraged by this. Write it down again. And say it again. But there comes a point where we say it over and over and over and over again. And it's time to move on to somebody who's never heard the word of the Lord so that they might come to faith in Jesus and the disciples, verse 52, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They rejoiced in their sufferings. They rejoiced because 
They kept their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, seeing someone put their faith in Christ is worth every bit of suffering and opposition. Because that's what matters. How do we apply this? A few ways. Real quick. I said I'd come back to the mission call. Maybe this morning, you have heard the call of God through the Holy Spirit to your heart saying, maybe, maybe it's time for me to be sent. If you've heard the mission call of God on your life, don't ignore it. If God is asking you to go overseas to share the good news with those who have never heard, let's start talking about it. Be a Tyler and Cheryl and respond and say, I heard it through the message when Ricky and Karen Sanchez came and spoke, and I want to I explore this. Have you heard this morning the gospel call? Are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way? Have you trusted in his finished work on the cross to take care of your sin? Have you repented? Have you said, I put my faith in Jesus? And if you have not, I implore you today, do not leave these doors without responding to the gospel call in your life. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Jeremy or Cecily or whoever Bill up here, he, he's, he's got an empty chair beside him. He'll talk to you about the Lord. I know he will. Respond to the gospel call on your life. I'm going to conclude with these verses that's on the screen. Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, he said, to this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To this end, well, what does that mean? If you go back to verses five through 10, I'll tell you what that end is. Paul said that apart from Christ, people will suffer the vengeance, wrath, and punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Apart from Christ, people will perish eternally. To that end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ to that calling. Friends, I want to tell you, this is very real. This is not theoretical. And I'm going to end this sermon with an announcement and with prayer. On October 4th, Gary Weber passed away. He perished physically in a helicopter accident don't know if you remember Gary. Gary attended here occasionally. Andrea's here this morning. Andrea, we love you. Your sisters are with you. Andrea lost the love of her life 13 days ago. You may have heard about the accident on the news. Uh, Gary was uh, 
heli-logging. He's a helicopter pilot, very seasoned, dedicated pilot, chief pilot for his company. And his chopper went down in uh, Killam Bay, just north of Seashell. And it was confirmed just the other day that he is deceased. They found him with his machine. And Andrea, our hearts break for you. And all of us are walking with you. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm including this in the conclusion of my sermon because, Andrea, you attended this uh, church since probably about 2014, 2015. And, um, and you would come by yourself. And then in 2016, I did a funeral for one of the young guys who was killed on, um, he was part of Gary's logging crew. Gary is the pilot and this guy is on the ground cutting down trees. And the service was right here in 2016 and Gary came and, uh, to support his friends and coworkers and the family. Two years later, Gary's dad died. And he says, well, I don't know who, who to help me through this, but I remember that guy who spoke over at young Anthony's funeral there. And so he phoned me up and I went and visited you, Andrea and uh, Gary. And we, we spoke the word of the Lord. And Gary's heart was open. He came to church April 1st, 2018. And at the end of that service, at the back, he prayed to receive Jesus. And then he wanted to make sure it was real. And so over in the foyer, he says, Eldon, we need to do this again. And I, we prayed again for him to receive Jesus because he wanted to make sure that this was real and that he knew what he was doing. And oh, Andrea, our hearts break for you, but our hearts rejoice with you. Because to that end, Gary heard the word of the Lord and he is not suffering that eternal punishment. He's with Jesus. Let's pray. I want to pray for you, Andrea, and for this uh, word that we heard today. Oh, Lord God, we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need, Andrea needs your comfort and her sisters who are here supporting her. It's a time of great, great deep, deep and great sorrow and suffering. But our hearts, my heart is warmed and encouraged that I know whom Gary trusted and believed in. And I am so encouraged by the open doors for the gospel that you have given Andrea already to speak to those that he worked with. So God, glorify yourself in this. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, glorify yourself that people might come to know Jesus. Lord, help us to be faithful to the gospel. Affirm the call of God in our lives not to leave this place thinking that this is all theory, that this is just a game. It is not. This is real. There's eternal consequences at stake. And so remind us of that. Impress it upon our minds and our hearts today and in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.